Today's scripture comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 23 and 35 through 39. Hear now the inspired words of God. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believe also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be replaced and released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the name and word of God for the people of God. Amen. Today, as we look into the last and, and probably the most asked, and in fact, definitely the most asked question, I thought we would begin just with prayer. And if you feel comfortable, just open your hands like this on your lap and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you and we need you. This is a question about the evil in the world, about bad things in our own lives, and it's it hurts. It cuts us to the quick. And so I pray, comforter, you would be with each of my people as we listen for your words, God, about why these things happen and how we can go on when they do. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be with me, help me to be a good shepherd to your people, and may my words bring life and healing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I asked you to share with me the things that most bother you or trouble you about faith, the nagging questions that you haven't ever gotten a good answer to, far and away, overwhelmingly, the number one question that you gave to me on these cards was, why do bad things happen to good people? And I cried when I read these cards, these especially because they spoke of heartbreak so close. And so I thought I'd share just a few of them with you. Why is there no cure for my mother's Alzheimer's? Why do babies get cancer? Why did my niece die so young? She was just 24 years old. Why did you make me barren? Even when I prayed for a child, I was never blessed with one. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Over and over and over and over. And I've shared with you that what I did is I just laid them down before the altar. And I prayed. I said, God, we need an answer. Now, this is a question as a pastor that I've been asked all my years in ministry, 14 years now. So often that I started to save the questions in my own little space where I could lay them at the feet of God. I have on my phone after sermon notes and ideas and celebrations, I have this folder called Why? And it's a repository for all the questions, all the evil that you have seen, that members of my other congregations have seen where there isn't a good answer. And it's honestly a space that breaks my heart. I don't go there and look at it unless I feel like I need to and your questions called me there. Just a few of the things in there. There's this little baby, Hadley. She's granddaughter of some members of my church in San Angelo. She was 16 months old when she died. Hundreds had prayed for her. I keep Hadley in her picture in that little folder. I have a picture of my friend Jen. She's from my church in New Braunfels. She's a young mom like me. And recently, she was driving back from a meeting at work, and her car was struck by another driver, and she was killed. And her husband is now alone trying to raise three kids, and the whole congregation, I can tell you still to this day, is asking, why did that happen? These are just a few just a few of hundreds. And the need for an answer to this question is so desperate. A real answer. This, in fact, is the reason most people who do leave their faith, this is, this is why they walk away, because they can't find the answer. And so they don't want anything to do with God if they can't find the answer to Why? Oftentimes, I've found that when people can't find the real answer, they try to find an answer and they come up with some really bad ones. It does a lot of harm. So I can tell you about uh, some friends of Kevin's and mine who were married out of college. And by the time that they were in their late 20s, she was diagnosed with cancer. Very faithful people. By the time she was 30 years old, She had just months to live. And it was then that some members of her congregation came to their house and they sat them down and they said, we think we've figured out why she still has cancer. And they said, it's because she has some sin that she hasn't repented of. That is appalling and that is wrong. And that caused pain for my friends for decades. I mean, his wife passed on and he's still carrying that, still trying to work through that. That is the wrong answer. Another answer we often get, well-meaning, I even hear well-meaning believers will 
wanting to say something that helps will say something that causes a lot of pain, sometimes for decades. Pastor Tiffany and I were talking about this, and and she told me about a little six-year-old she's working with in a church a while back. She said the six-year-old was angry with God after his mom died. And so she went to talk to him. And, you know, she's so loving, and she said, it's okay, whatever you're feeling, but tell me, you know, why you're angry. And it came out that people have been telling this little boy that God needed another angel in heaven, and so God took his mommy. And Tiffany said, well, let's, let's talk about that. Was your mom sick? And she talked with them, and she had cancer, the mom. And so Pastor Tiffany ended up saying, you know, it, it wasn't God It was the cancer that killed your mom. But God is with you. And I can't tell you how often I will talk to people who have lost a child, who have lost a little brother, a little sister, or even a parent, and someone said to them, trying to help, God needed another flower or an angel, and it caused them damage that is still with them. And those believers did not mean to cause harm, but they didn't know the real answer. So we need a real answer to this question. And we're going to go back where we've been going so often, and that's the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis has answered four of our frequently asked questions, frequently avoided questions. And I see grace in that. I see that God knew what's on our hearts and the things we struggle with. And so right up at the beginning, God put the answers to these really heartfelt and difficult questions. And some of you may, as I go through this, recall if you were here on the Sunday the hurricanes hit, we talked about some of this, about why natural disasters. We were in Genesis. So it may sound familiar. But we have to understand this so that we know the real answer. So you remember when God created our world, there's a word we hear over and over again. It's the word good. That when God made the world, every day is blessed by that benediction of this is good. This is good. Good, good. You can't miss that this is a good and, in fact, perfect world that God creates for us. There's no sin. There's no cancer. There's no suffering. There's no evil of any kind. And into this beautiful Eden, God places human beings, made in God's image, filled with the Spirit, the breath in our lungs, and then God gives us this beautiful and terrible gift, the power to choose, to really choose. And we've talked about that, how that means that Really, every single one of us get to pick every day 37,000 times whether we're going to follow God or whether we're going to just turn away and throw whatever God is giving us back in his face. And God gives us that freedom to really make good choices and to really make choices that are evil. And we see that in the Genesis account because God says, look, my children, look at the world it's all yours and I want you to care for it and be good stewards of it and eat anything you want except that tree over there because it will kill you. And we all know that that's exactly where our spiritual ancestors go and they eat. And that's the moment when the good of creation 
is ruined, is shot full of sin and brokenness and evil. So that from that action, brokenness into the world pours. And we see it on three levels. The relationship with God. The people had walked in with God in the cool of the evening breezes, the scripture says. And now they're hiding behind bushes. They're afraid. There's not that tender intimacy that they had. Their relationship with each other is broken. You know, they're hiding. They're ashamed. Um, they're blaming each other. It's her fault. It's the snake's fault. It's his, you know. There's enmity between each other now. And we see that all the way down through the generations, Cain and Abel, and on through that. And finally, the creation is broken. Right in the first chapters of Genesis, we hear about how there's thorns coming up from the ground, and now it's toilsome, and, and there's, there's dying now, and the world is broken. Now, the good news is we have a Savior. Hallelujah, we have a Savior. And Jesus, through his suffering and his death and his resurrection, has fixed the relationship between us and God that was broken, right? Our sins are forgiven, and we can be set free from the guilt of the past and sense that connection, that tender love between us and God. And as we walk through the book of Acts over the summer, we saw how the barriers between us and other people are being broken down. And we've talked about that as a church, that we may vote differently or we may think differently on different issues or we have different values, but man, we all love Jesus, and so walls come tumbling down as he teaches us how to live with kindness and compassion and humility. So those relationships are restored. And we have the promise that Pastor DG talked about last week, the promise that creation will be remade. But we're not living in that reality yet. That's the day when... Jesus returns and heaven and earth meet and we are living in then a world that is restored. But see, we're not there yet. So we are redeemed people who know how to be reconciled to each other and with God, but we are living in a world that is groaning. We are living in bodies that are still part of this broken created order that we hear in the Bible are still wasting away. And we are still living surrounded by people who have free will and choose sometimes to abuse it. So when we get to the why do bad things happen to us, well, we are living here. We're not home yet. We're among people who could do bad things in a creation that is still suffering the results of sin. And so as soon as I have the answer to that question, I feel like my heart needs to know the next, needs to ask the next question to God, which is, okay, God, so if this is the world I'm living in, how do I do it? How do I do it when I'm hurting, when someone I love is hurting, and it's not fair? And this is the question in Romans that Paul is answering for his church. Because, see, they were the first generation to, get their, to receive the Savior. And they were hoping and expecting that this would not only be restoration between them and God and them and other people, but that Eden would be restored. 
that they would see the lion lay down with the lamb and that people who had been fighting would turn their swords into farming tools and the good would be on top of the order and there would be justice and fairness and love. They were waiting for that. You hear the disciples asking, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time, right? They're asking about it. And instead, within a year, instead of that Eden, their leaders are being stoned to death or flogged. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. They're in fear for their lives and the lives of their little ones. And they're asking not only why is this happening, but how do we keep hold of our faith when all of these bad things are happening to us? Because we're believers. And Paul answers them in three ways. And these three things, they still help us today. For how do we live when bad things happen? And the first thing is to remember this world is not it. This world is not it. There's more. And that's hard to remember because all we've ever lived in is this world. But God invites us to lift our eyes to what's coming. Jesus reminds his disciples over and over, right? I'm preparing a place for you. I'll come back for you. It's going to be amazing. And so as followers of Christ, we're invited to continually live in this world, work all that we can to make it a better place, but to remember this isn't the end. It, there's more. I was reminded of that when I visited someone in the hospital just a few weeks ago. This family gave me permission to share the story of what I saw. This was a man from our church, and um, he had had a stroke following the stroke, he had bleeding in his brain. And the doctors had to go in and, and make an incision from about here to here to just drain the blood off so that he could survive. By the time I got to the ICU, he was not responsive. He wasn't waking up, and the doctors were saying, he needs to wake up so that we'll know he's okay. And his wife was next to him, and she was holding his hand, and she was calling out his name. Many of y'all know this is Robert Woods. He's, if you don't know him, he's one of the best people you're ever going to meet. Um, in his retirement, he and LaRue started helping hand crisis ministry over here because they realized that there were a lot of people in need in our area that couldn't drive to Lakeway to get help. So they said, you shouldn't have to. We're going to get believers together from our area and we'll help you right here. And every week... Dozens and hundreds are helped. Every month, hundreds of people and families in our community are helped because of the work of Robert and LaRue. And I happen to know that Robert's the kind of guy who if you need a ride to your doctor's appointment, he's going to take you. And if it's late at night, you can call him. And he'll help you through your darkest time. And so it was really hard to walk into that hospital room and to hold LaRue's hand and to hear her say, Robert, please wake up. Please wake up. Pastor Laura's here. And I thought, man, if, if it was on merit, you know, any, any one of us should be here instead of Robert. But LaRue and I held hands and we prayed over him. We prayed for a miracle. 
And when we said amen, I'll never forget what LaRue said. She said, but Pastor Laura, here's the thing. Robert loves the Lord. He has been walking with Jesus so long now, and no matter what, he's going to go home to Jesus no matter what. Whether now or as we were all hoping much later, she said, this isn't the end. I said, LaRue, could I tell the church you said that? She said, yeah, please tell them that I said, this world is not the end. There's more. I've sat, you guys, with more families than I could count in hospital rooms and ICUs and hospice centers, and I'll tell you, faith makes a difference. It makes a difference to remember that this that we can see is not all there is, that there is more, and it's amazing, and we want it. It's good. It's full of life and light, and go listen to DG's sermon, and you're going to be amazed about what all heaven is like. Remember, this is not the end. The next thing we need to remember that Paul says, he doesn't describe it this way. This is the way I think about it. Remember back when you were a kid? Maybe you didn't play this game, but I had a younger brother and sister, and they, we played all kinds of games. But if they had me cornered and they had their laser guns drawn, I'd say, force field, and they'd say, aww, because I had just put up an invisible wall all around myself, and their little laser guns couldn't get through it. And I think a lot of times what we, what we do is we carry that idea from our childhood into our adult faith, or we try to. And we are hoping, and I'm in that number two, that our faith will be a force field. So that when we get in a tight spot, we can say, force field, I'm Jesus' child, and you don't get to touch me, right? But that's not, in fact, what Jesus said. Okay, I know there's a lot of preachers who enjoy great prosperity by telling people, when you believe in Jesus, you will have a bigger house and a bigger car that's fancier and a lot of wealth. And... I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Do you? (laughs) Jesus said, in fact, that when we followed him, we would be picking up the heavy beam of a cross. Jesus told his followers, if they do this to me, they're going to do it to you too. And he said, he promised his followers, in this world you will have trouble. Faith is not a force field. It is so much more. But I want you to hear what Paul says about that, and then we're going to talk about what faith is, which is so much better than a force field. Listen to Paul's words to these believers who are struggling. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And then listen to this. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. Okay, so faith is not a force field, but do you hear that? Despite all this, 
Right? While we're in the midst of all this, overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming victory. That's what our faith brings us. And so that's the final thing that Paul is talking about. He's saying, remember Jesus. I want you to hear what he says. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is telling them we live in a broken world, right? It's groaning. We're living in bodies that are part of this broken, created order, and yet nothing in all creation can separate you from God. If you remember nothing else, then remember Jesus. And remember not just how he healed people and forgave people, But remember that he was betrayed. That he was tied up and beaten. That the hands that gave back sight were nailed to a cross. And as he died, people would spit on him. But he overcame it. Death couldn't hold him. And so he says, the victory is ours. And it helps me so much and may it help you so much when you are in the darkness of a valley to know that your Savior is right there and to see that his hands bear the scars. He knows suffering. And nothing can separate you. I remember when I got a phone call to come to the hospital. And it was in New Braunfels. And I said, could you tell me which of my people is there in the ER? And they said, no, pastor, this is your father-in-law. Well, I dropped everything and I went to the hospital. I'm trying to call Kevin, but he's in surgery. He's a nurse. And so he was doing surgeries, and I, I ran into the hospital, and I said, can you please show me my father-in-law, Warren Hykus's room? And they said, come with me. And instead of taking me to my father-in-law, they took me to a little room with couches. And as a pastor, I knew that probably wasn't good. My mother-in-law, Kevin's mom, was there, and she was crying. And she said, Laura, I don't know what's going on. I was at Bible study, and Warren said he was just going to take a nap, and when I came back, I couldn't wake him up. I tried, and I tried, and I called 911, and they got there so fast, and they're doing breathing and, and compressions, and is it, do you think he's okay? I said, I didn't know. And we just held each other's hands, So we waited in that little room and we prayed. The thing that helps me as we wait for the door to open or the 
results to come back or in a million ways of waiting as I just think about Psalm 27. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous and wait for the Lord. And I've found in those situations that if I can turn my eyes instead of waiting for what the doctor is going to come in and tell me or waiting for the test results or waiting for just the door to open, I hear Jesus whispering, wait for me. When the doctor comes in, you're meeting me. No matter what. My father-in-law didn't make it. But Jesus was there. And we stood. They let us go into the room and we held hands around my father-in-law's body and we prayed. I'll tell you guys that it was sad, so sad. But at the same time, we knew that those nail-scarred hands were around us. And we knew that Jesus had been reaching out to take Warren home, to welcome him into that place the rest of us can't see yet. I have no idea why it is that sometimes we pray and we see miracles and other times the news is bad. But I know this. The same love that wraps me up on the mountaintops when there's victory, that same love has been with me and is with each of us in the darkness of the valleys. I felt the nail-scarred hands, the love of my Savior in those dark times. I know he'll never leave me, and I want you to know he'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. So why do bad things happen? This world is broken. We're not home yet. But we will be someday. This isn't it. This isn't the end of the story. The the end of the story is victory and life and a time where God wipes all of the tears away and they never return. Until then, know that Jesus is with you and that he has these words of encouragement and hope. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, I pray. Jesus, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us in the darkness that you will never leave our sides. That when we are waiting and praying, you would whisper the words of the psalm to us, wait for the Lord. That you would remind us of our victory in you of what is to come and that you would give us the strength and the courage to live in a world that is broken where bad things do happen 
But help us even in the midst of that, Lord, to be your light, to be examples of what it means to have faith even in the darkness. We ask this in your strong and mighty name. Amen.